Elaine cake? Oh, uh, no, thanks. It's Walter's special day. You know, there are 200 people who work in this office. Every day is somebody's special day. Elaine, where are you going? It's Walter's last day. We have to celebrate. It's his birthday and it's his last day? This is other Walter from Returns. Hey, what's going on here? Surprise! Oh, guys. <laughs> that is going to make sense in a moment. But welcome to episode six of The Hobcast. I'm Jeremy Hobson. If you are new to The Hobcast, welcome. If you are returning, welcome back. And, you know, the thing is about this podcast is I want to bring very interesting conversations with all kinds of different people. But I also want to play around with building a show. And today, whether you're new or whether you are coming back for the sixth time, I am introducing a sidekick that I'm just trying out for this one time, unless he's really good. And then maybe he'll come back for the next episode. Wiley, I don't even know what your last name is, Wiley. What it's, is it? It's Burrell. Burrell. Okay. Good morning. Wiley is a, is a starving artist here in Provincetown. Yeah. Um, and also works at a hotel here in Provincetown. Yes, I do. And has an amazingly dry sense of humor, which is why I thought he's perfect for this. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what kind of introduction is that? So, uh, Wiley, you? today um, we are going to be talking about the future of work. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about because everybody that we know, a lot of people actually that have been in Provincetown for the, for the course of the pandemic have come here because their corporate jobs have allowed them to work remotely. Mm-hmm. And now they're wondering if they're going to have to go back and whether they're going to have to go back this fall or whether they're not going to have to go back until next year or whether they're not going to have to go back at all. To get to the bottom of this, I want to bring in somebody who I've known for many years, I've been on the air with for many years, and that is Jill Schlesinger, who's a business analyst with CBS News and host of Jill on Money. Jill, welcome to the Hobcast. Wow, thanks so much. I haven't been to, I'm just coming out right now as a lesbian who has not been in Provincetown (laughs) for probably 10 years. Actually, so, okay, why is that? Because I've been trying to get you to come up here and visit, but you won't. Because I have a house on on the east end of Long Island, and there's no way I am schlepping up Route 6, sitting in traffic, getting stuck on the Bourne Bridge, and, you know, I'm just not going to do that. I mean, I have have my own traffic issues to contend with. We'll we'll send you a hydrofoil, and then you can come up to to Provincetown. Okay. Okay. So, so wait, let's talk about this because I wonder what you're thinking as you look at what all kinds of companies, large and small, are doing right now. My, my thought right now is that they must be thanking their lucky stars that the Delta variant is making it so they can wait a little longer before they figure out whether they're going to call their employees back in October or next year or never. Uh, I think that it's been, I don't think that they think they're lucky. I think that the confusion that we are seeing and the uncertainty is not great for employers or employees. And so I think it really does depend on your sector, obviously. Um, I deal a lot with the banking and finance sector because they're, that's, you know, I'm in New York, that's like the biggest sector. And it's been so interesting to watch how various companies are approaching this. So some are really hardcore. I sort of think the trio of hardcore is Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and J.P. Morgan Chase. And they're very seriously saying publicly, everyone's back after Labor Day. Get your butts in the seats. That's that. And then you have some more flexible arrangements, maybe even a way to um, recruit people from places like Citigroup or Wells Fargo, where they're saying, hey, you know what? We are not going to be so black and white. We are right. going to be a more flexible workplace. And maybe, especially if you're somebody who has younger kids at home, you want that and that's important to you. 
come work with us. And it's been an interesting time to watch the recruiting going on and seeing what brings people into different organizations. I do think, um, obviously, if you're in the tech sector, that mm-hmm. you know, you're know you working from home and that's probably going to be the way it is. But there are a lot of other folks who are really trying to figure out some sort of hybrid model. And I'm sure that you saw that recent article, which basically said, because we're human beings, it may be that if you're actually not in the office and there is some office component, you could fall behind in your career because we're such dopey human beings that whatever's in front of our face is what we pay attention to. I wonder about that, though, because, you know, people have been able to be, I think, very productive during the pandemic. And in fact, if they are spending time around the people that they choose to spend time around when they're not working, as opposed to the people that they're forced to spend time around because those are their coworkers, I wonder if they in some ways are more creative as well. And they think of more interesting things that will be better for the company's bottom line. I would like to believe that as well. You know, I am a much more, I'm a more optimistic person about this. I work a lot from home. You you probably right. know this, that, you know, I go into work and I, when I used to go into work, when there was a building to go into, I would go in, I would do a television segment and I'd leave. And I would do most of my audio work, podcast and radio from home. I did all of my writing from home. So I know that that was like a very efficient model for me. I, I guess that it's going to really be predicated on the leadership in an organization organization and how flexible they want to be, but also what they perceive as productivity. You know, that's the other part of it. Like this, there's such baloney floating around. And and I, I will put it out there as I call it, and maybe this is unfair to others who believe this, but I call it like the straight white guy thing, which is like, there's only one way to do it. We put people in a box, we tell them to come in every day and we are collaborative and we're more productive. And they all complain that we're not as productive now. I don't see any proof of that. I've seen no proof that there is a lack of productivity or creativity because we're not walking into the same physical space. I know. Oh, that I think it's the, I think it's the opposite, Jill. I think that people are more productive than ever now because there there's no line between work and and not work. It's like it, I, like my husband is working until nine p.m. at night. Sometimes he's answering Slack messages way later than he would if he were in the office. Yeah, he needs to stop doing that. But uh, <laughs> Ziggy, are you listening? Stop yes, doing that. Right. I mean, so I, I don't know. I think you're right. And I think that there is some strange perception that, you know, there's only one way to do this. I, I was ha- I have a friend of mine who works for a health tech company, a startup, and mm-hmm. he was a chief revenue officer of this company. And he said to me, I will never, ever get on a plane as much as I used to, that he used to travel, you know, out of, let's say, 150 days a year, he would be on planes. He goes, I'm never doing that again. I didn't have to do it in the first place. It's just that this forced it. And now the clients are saying, don't come here. We'll do a Zoom with you. We'll talk to you. And somehow or other, he's closing business that way. Now, will we go back to some other system, which is, you know, maybe there's a visit once a month? I don't know. But I'm, I am interested in two aspects of remote work. One mm-hmm. is how do we nurture younger workers to make them feel part of the organization and have um, some connection to people? Because I do think there are some folks who really do better in person. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do for those people? And then if you're in a highly regulated field, like let's say banking, how do you supervise people who are working remotely? I know that's a big 
bugaboo for the SEC and the Federal Reserve. They want to know if you've got a trader who's at home, how do you know what he or she is doing when, you know, they're not logged onto your system? And that is, there is some truth to that. That is, a, I think, a, a somewhat of a thorny issue. Yeah. Well, and I, I also wonder, you know, you bring up the idea of business travel and people not having to, to do too much travel. There are whole industries built around business people traveling all around conventions, the flights, the hotels, the rental cars, all that stuff. I mean, if there's going to be a major change there, and there probably is because these companies are realizing that they don't, even if they're going to do one of their trips a year, they don't need to do 15 of their trips mm. a year. That's going to be a, a big hit to a lot of places that rely on that. I, I agree. I had to go to um, a convention. I This is like the worst possible timing. I had to go um, in July, just before the CDC had changed its mind on the mask mandate. I had to go to Las Vegas. And that was by the way, that was because of Provincetown. You can thank Provincetown for the CDC changing its mind on the mask. Well, I could say that was because I, of our outbreak. <laughs> I know, but you know, let me just say thank you to Provincetown for lots of different things. That's one of them. Um, you know, and, and in the best of circumstances, um, conferences and conventions in Las Vegas attract the land of the moronic people um, because what they do is they really do believe like what's what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas so they behave really badly and so it's almost like this a B test because somebody who was willing to get on a plane and go to Las Vegas at the end of July with somebody who probably was like I just need to go crazy I got I'm so sick of everybody right and the ones that stayed home were like the more conservative ones. So, you know, I was wearing my N95 mask, which does not fit very well over my large Jewish nose. And I was very careful the whole time. But it was, it, it seemed so convoluted. I, I can't tell you how strange it was to be in this, this, this odd, like I'm in a, this 2,700 person theater. I'm up on the stage. I'm interviewing people. So I'm pretty safe, right? But I thought it was so strange that this, like, I guess it's great to go to a live event, um, it's, but it's not music. It's an interview. And since right. you and I have been in the business of audio interviewing our whole lives, that it seems so funny that we're like making this big push to be like, oh, we have to be in person to see an interview live on stage. I, I don't know. It's very strange. I don't think it's going back to that. And... I think it's sort of consummately a waste of money for most of the people involved, except well, the conference organizers. Okay. The, the, the other sort of impact that whatever change happens to our workplaces in the next year, two years, five years, the other big one is going to be cities. You know, think about all the little chipotles and soup places in the middle of Manhattan that rely on office workers coming out every day and, and having their lunch. That's going to have a major impact if people are not working every day. And I don't. I think in a lot of businesses, even if they do make people go back, they're going to go back three days a week or four days a week, but not all five days a week like they used to. Oh, I completely agree. And I think we're already seeing a consolidation of a lot of those shops. And, you know, I, I'll use New York City because that's my hometown as a great example that I was midtown a few weeks ago and you walk along the streets and there's, um, oh, well, there's that where that used to be or there's where that used to be. And, you know, the delis, the sandwich shops, the coffee places, you know, all of them are starting to consolidate. What happens to that commercial real estate I don't know. I really don't because I think there's a lot of people who are smarter than I am who can't quite figure out, wait, so there's 
you know, hundreds of thousands of, of square feet of space that's coming online. What fills that? It is, you're right, it's not going to be a sandwich shop. And it Could it be a warehouse? Could there be a massive Whole Foods slash Amazon warehouse in Midtown Manhattan where, oh, great. you know, that you had- really fun. <laughs> I know, it does not sound fun and it's not, but you know what? Let's just switch the positions for a second. Yeah. Let's say I'm the guy who worked or the gal who worked in that deli or that Chipotle. And let's say that I was making, in a deli, probably 10 bucks an hour, in a chain, $15 an hour. And I had to be on my feet all day, and maybe I was somebody who had to really deal a lot with the public and, you know, get the sandwiches out, lots of pressure, and, and maybe I even didn't have regular hours. Now I get to go to a warehouse, I get to make 15 or 20 bucks an hour, I get health benefits, I get tuition help for my kids. I get, you know, these are the kinds of things that I'm hearing from people who are saying, look, I don't need to have like the, the exact job I had. That's what I learned during the pandemic. I need to make a living wage with some consistency and I need health insurance. And it stands to reason that this particular crazy time, this last 18, it'll end up being two years, has made employers and employees reset and consider what comes next. And I think that's important. And I think it's probably going to be a good thing. Well, you know, and I'm going to confirm right now that you're exactly right, because I have been talking to people that I'm very close with who are in the restaurant industry. And one thing that I, first of all, it's impossible for restaurants right now to get any help of any kind, line cooks, you know, waiters, busboys, all that stuff. It's very difficult. And one of the reasons I was told is because people that used to be in the industry doing those things decided they'll go into construction, they'll go work in a warehouse, they'll go do something like that's totally different, that by the way, isn't as front facing, they're not putting themselves at risk of getting COVID every single day by being around a bunch of customers coming into the restaurant. And they have a more steady paycheck and all that stuff. So I think that's totally right. Yeah. And I also think that there's a lot going on with regards to, you know, with all these job openings, with millions of job openings, we'll get another report next week. But I I think there was, uh, I don't know, 10 million job openings last time. And so if you're somebody and you say, um, okay, I was getting unemployment, now it's going to be starting to run out. Now I have my choice, what do I want to do? You do have a lot of options. And there are some people who love the restaurant business, and they love that front facing business, and it's jazzing for them. Uh, But I I think that, you know, if you were um, working in a a small B&B in Provincetown, and you were working really hard, and you didn't get paid that much money, and you say, I have other options, maybe I have to leave this beautiful area, but I'm going to go do something different. It does kind of light a fire under your ass and say, there is more to to what I want to do with my life than what I was doing. And I think that's what COVID has done in terms of the labor force. So as you look forward, let's go to a prediction, Jill. A year from now, mm-hmm. what percentage of the workforce that was working in the office 40 hours a week will still be doing so? A year from now, I think we're going to be at 50%. I think it's going to be half. I think it's going to be 50. I think, because I think what you're, you are right in that 
even everybody I talk to, and I talk to a lot of people on my radio show and podcasts, they are saying, I will not go back five days a week. And they are using the leverage they have to negotiate that right now. And by the way, if you are the kind of person you say like, my boss is saying I have to be back five days a week. I also am calling BS on that because I think the bosses are saying that and Mm -hmm. they're really saying, we kind of hope to get there, but let's see what happens when things settle down, right? You know, I want to bring the troops back. That's great. It'll be wonderful. But you know what? Come next summer, I can tell you it's still going to be Thursday is the new Friday. The commute up Route 6 is going to be heinous on Thursday (laughs) afternoons because no one is working in the office on a Friday. So first of all, you can take a ferry if you want and you don't have to get on Route 6, but we'll leave that aside for the moment. But I do know somebody who works at a, a major tech company that told all of its employees that they're going to be coming back in for three days a week. They've actually pushed back the start date of that, but they originally said three days a week, but the same three days. It's going to be Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Everyone has to be in the office. And Wednesday, Friday, they can work remotely if they want. The idea being, if they're going to do that and have people come back in, then there's no Zooms. There's no meetings that require people in different places that people are all in the office. I like that idea. I, I mean, um, yeah. Viacom CBS were doing something a little bit different. Um, they are rotating the two. They're doing a three day a week um, for certain areas of the organization. This is more for the office folks, not for the editorial side. Um, and they are going to rotate the three days that you're in. So it's going to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday you know, one month and then the following, but you're going to be able to know exactly what days it is in Mm. advance and you're going to switch off because I think they would, I think that their perception is that we don't want to, we're we're reducing our footprint in terms of our real estate selling Mm BlackRock, our big building in 52nd street. Um, We don't have enough room in the current building we're in and we need to see how the flow is and we have to see what jobs really do translate on a more permanent basis. So I do think in a year we're still in experimental phase. I really, do well and there are people also and this makes it for another interesting conundrum who have been hired during the pandemic never had an office to begin with maybe were hired remotely and then how is the boss going to say to the person's been working there for 20 years you've got to come in but this new asshole gets to work from home yeah. <laughs> all the time because they never worked in the office. Yeah, I think it's real. I think that that's a great point. And, and you know what's fascinating is when you consider that the people who are getting hired, how they're onboarded um, normally. I mean, it's like, it's so strange, but I have a nephew who um, just was hired at Shopify, the, you know, Canadian Amazon, let's call it. And he's a coder. And so he got a great job. And the way that they are managing the onboarding process there is they are, they had a whole bunch of people that they hired and they said, we want you all to start on the same day. And we are going to onboard with you 12 people that are starting and we're going to do this and you're going to be your own little like pod. And then in a month, they have office space that is essentially like a WeWork space and you're all going to meet and we're going to do an offsite and we're going to have once a month offsite so you can all kind of get to know each other. But that's it. There's no office. There's no Shopify office in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. in Toronto. There is no space. So it's these offsites are going to be happening once a month with the whole staff or the whole team and the onboarding people are going to have some extra Zooms to kind of help them along. It's going to be a very interesting time, Jill. It's going to be a very interesting time. Now, 
Uh, I'm not promoting anything for you because you you, you don't have a book out. You don't have a book out <gasps> right now. They, I'm just I've signing a new. I'm just signing a new deal. What is the book going to be about? I can't tell you. It's not signed yet. I don't want to drink. <laughs> the future <it>. of work. <laughs> it's not um, far no, off. But also, you're doing a bike ride, right? So maybe I am they'll doing, donate in in your favor. I know, but I I, I never like to ask for that. But I'll tell you anyway that um, I am on the board of the LGBTQ Center of New York City, which is a fantastic, fantastic organization. And one of the big ways that um, the organization has raised money in the past was a ride from Massachusetts to New York. So many of you may have heard of it or been part of it. Um, And it was called the 275 Challenge. It was a 275-mile ride. So now in the era of COVID, I think this is actually a fabulous thing, which is um, they're doing this virtually. So we're calling it the 275 Challenge. It's virtual. It's it's 27 and a half days of activity and fundraising. There's an optional 27 and a half mile bike ride at the end or 2.75 mile walk, but it's really awesome. And so, yeah, I have decided to do it. And um, you will be happy to know that I have um, already ridden 40 of my 275 wow miles which you. is insane i'm sure it will be great uh, jill schlesinger it is so great to have you on the hobcast uh business analyst with cbs news host of jill on money um thank you so much thank you for having me and um, maybe one day we'll do it in person okay wiley so what did you think um kind of bleak honestly i thought it was a little sad why was it sad just a grim idea of the future with no one working in the office and i think office culture is very important you're how old now 24 24 and you think that that's grim to have nobody working in the office yes i do jeremy why yes i do (laughs) um well i have my whole treatise here that i've been taking careful notes so (laughs) i think it's very important to have a work-life balance as you call it so you get up every morning at nine and you take the train and you get your little coffee you see the guy who works at the coffee shop you say hello you have all these little connections you make on the train whatever you get to the office you see that guy you don't really like that much like oh god he's here again and then you go talk to the people you do like by the water cooler and you're like all right time to do work whatever whistle blows you get down to it and then you have lunch you hang out with people you see people very important to see people throughout the day, yeah. even for people you don't really like. And then you get off work, you go home, you see your spouse, whatever, you see your dog, and then you tell them about your day. So what you're saying is that you didn't that get way. any moment of joy out of that podcast. You well, were just no, really- no, it was interesting, certainly. <laughs> it was very fascinating, but it's just upsetting because it's like, it makes me kind of scared. Well, if you're scared, then you're going to love the next episode of The Hobcast, which oh, is going to be all about China with oh, a China God. scholar. <laughs> Yes, that is going to be very interesting. That is going to be next week on the Hobcast. And I want to say thank you to John J. Richardson and Andrew Haig for their production and engineering help, as always. And I want to remind people to go and rate this Hobcast and share it with your friends and make sure that we become the number one podcast in the entire universe. Don't you think that would be good, Wiley? I think that would be uh Sounds like the goal, maybe. We're number three right now. Oh, number three in the universe. Yeah, the universe. God, all the way to Andromeda, everyone's (laughs) tuning in. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah, please do that. It'd be awesome. Thank you for that rousing endorsement. who's joining next week? Eric Hundman is his name. Oh, my God. He's a professor at NYU Shanghai. 
but during the pandemic, he's right here. So working we're going to have him exa- working remotely. Yeah, exactly. Cool. It's not easy to teach classes remotely. So we're harder if you're teaching. Sorry, it's 1216. <laughs> that always goes off. It's a 1216 alarm on my watch. I have one of those too. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week.